Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. And today I have a special guest just for you. Someone that I think you'll be really interested in. Someone that knows distribution and wireless integration and is very active in the wireless community. I think it's someone that we all want to talk to at some point. And I was lucky enough to have him on the show. I met him up at NEDAS up in New York City. And he's just a really nice guy, really approachable guy, nice to talk to. And he's got a lot going on. You know, he has over 15 years of experience in distribution and emerging technology. And I, I got to give him a lot of credit because he really understands a lot of the go-to market strategies for the wireless industry, especially for integrators. You know, that's what he concentrates around. So he spent the last 10 years at Tesco as a senior development manager. But look at what he's done on the side. He's one of the founding advisory board members of NEDAS, which is the Northeast DAS and Small Cell Association. And that's where I met him, up at their show, up at New York City. He also gave a talk up there, and I got to talk up there as well. It's very exciting for me. I made a lot of contacts up there. It's a show worth going if you do DAS or small cell deployments. The other thing that I thought was interesting is he's also a founding board member for Dense Networks, which is a new group. And oh, NEDAS, N E D A S dot com, NEDAS dot com, N E DAS dot com. That's their website. He's also a founding board member for Dense Networks, D E N S E N E T W O R K S, DenseNetworks dot com. And what they are, they're basically a group, they're trying to educate people about the dense networks. If you're wondering what a dense network is, just think of densification where they're putting wireless everywhere, they're putting broadband everywhere, but it's beyond that. It's big data analytics, it's broadband, it's any connection you can get. Because the dense network, the lines are going to blur between wire and wireless as the speeds increase for wireless. So look at dense networks like this. Four things. One, mobile internet. Two, big data and analytics. Three, internet of things. Four, the cloud. It's a convergence of all four of those technologies. So it's pretty cool. I mean, DenseNetworks.com. I would go to it, learn a little bit about it. The other thing is he's a board member for the Maryland D.C. Wireless Association. And that's pretty impressive in itself because they're a pretty big group, are really trying to educate people in wireless, and it's a very localized group for Maryland, D.C. and Washington, you know, for Washington, D.C. If you want to go to their website, it's MDDCWA.com. Again, MDDCWA.com. You learn a lot off those guys. They have a lot of conferences. They get a lot of big names at their talks. It's it's pretty cool. You know, everybody's looking at those guys. Plus, they're out of D.C. D.C. gets a lot of attention when it comes to wireless. So I would highly recommend any of those groups. And it's just amazing that he has time for all of that. He does a lot of stuff on the side, and obviously he's very active with Tesco, and Tesco is very active in the industry as far as trying to get new products out. I consider him like a VAD, a value-added distributor, or a, and he works with a lot of ours, which is value-added resellers, which I guess you could also call Tesco a VAR. Pretty impressive. I mean, the guy's a smart guy, has an executive MBA from Loyola University. He's a pretty sharp guy. He really knows a lot about wireless, about the industry, and about trying to get the word out and market to the industry to get them to understand what technology is coming next. Anyway, I've bored you long enough, but I have to say a few words for my sponsors. First, I want to thank Tower Tracker Pro. They have your closeout package application. They're going to walk you through the closeout package step by step, and then you can send it back on your smartphone back to the office. They can audit it. I want to thank Tower Safety and Instruction. That's right, Tower Safety and Instruction, towersafety.com. They have all your tower safety needs, and now they have drone training from unmanned experts. So they can actually train you on drones, but there's a lot to it. 
You don't just go out with a drone and bam, you're there. You have to get certified, but the FAA is changing the rules. I have a podcast on that coming up. I also want to thank Hubble Foundation, hubblefoundation.org, for all they do for the tower climber. I want to thank the Tower Family Foundation for all they do for the tower climbers' families. I appreciate both those organizations. And don't forget, I wrote the Wireless Deployment Handbook for Small Cell, CRAN, and DAS. That's right, the Wireless Deployment Handbook I did just for you because a lot of you guys are asking me what's involved in that, so I thought I'd put something together for you. I am coming out with a new book where I'm going to talk about a lot of the technologies I write about, like UE backhaul, like LTE deployment, and some of the different things there, and some of the things to do with the CBRS, Citizens Broadband Radio Service, some of the things with LTEU. I'm just put together a general knowledge book I thought you guys would appreciate. So let's get into the podcast because that's what you really want to hear. Steve's a great guy, very approachable, very likable. I think you'll appreciate what he has to say. So here's the interview. Hey, Steve. How you doing? I'm doing great. No, that's good. I appreciate you uh, getting up this morning because uh, for those of you listening to this anytime, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, and Steve was nice enough to take my call. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. People that, that don't realize how much time like uh, a lot of wireless people put into this, you know, it's quite a commitment. Speaking of commitment, I know in the intro, you know, I talked about all this, but this guy has so many organizations. I mean, Steve, I can't believe it. I don't know how you do it. You have NEDAS, you have the Maryland D.C. Wireless Association, mm-hmm. and you have Dense Networks. I mean, how do you, for one, how do you find time for all that? Well, I'll just say thank goodness for coffee, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've you got you to gotta follow what you love. And, you know, obviously there's so much change going on. Having a pulse on what's happening from a regional basis it, it definitely helps. It definitely helps give you a better lens on what you know the future is going to bring because there's so much dynamic change happening today. So, Steve, we talk about the wireless integrator all the time. So let's let's build on that. And the reason I want to build on it is because all kinds of people listen to the show. I want to have them understand wireless is a, is a huge, huge industry. If you sell wireless routers, you consider yourself in wireless. I'm not being a jerk here, but even, even the devices, what I would call a UE device, your cell phone, they consider themselves wireless. But the reality is the people that build the wireless systems, it's more than just the tower climber. It's more than just the engineer, the RF engineer. You got the IT guy, you got all that. So when I say wireless integrator to you, how do you interpret that? How would you explain the wireless integrator and what they do? Sure, sure. It's changed so much too, Wade. Looking at it the past couple of events, when, when you go into like the Annie DAS event or uh, Maryland DC wireless event that we had last month, there's so many different types of players out there. And really, if you look at the definition of wireless integrator, these are firms that have expertise in the areas of voice and data, network design, YLAN, wide area networking, RF design, active and passive DAS. They're also wireless broadband networking. These are companies that have on-staff wireless networking, cabling crews, they can get out into the field and they can complete end-to-end solutions for their client's client. And the interesting part is depending upon the size of the company, the integration companies will have in-house engineering, they'll have their own structured cabling design, some of which are in construction, and they have project management capabilities. But it really does depend upon the size of these companies, Um, some of which are, they could just be a few million dollars in revenues, others are over a billion dollars, and they've got a reach 
They're multinational enterprise. Others are just one location, and they focus just within the region. It's interesting because the wireless integrator could be almost anyone who builds a wireless system, designs it, builds it. Even when you say DAS and small cells, it fits into the ecosystem because obviously when you think of carriers, you think of densification and better coverage. Mm -hmm. But DAS is huge. Like It's carrier class, but it's also public safety. It's also broadband. It's it's also utility. So when you look at this specifically, what markets do you focus on? I know mm-hmm. I know at NEDAS, public safety was big and the carriers were big. I mean, do you want to elaborate on on specifically what you're looking at? Sure. Uh, when you, sure. when we think yeah. of that. Yeah, sure, Wade. You know the range is wide, but typically these integrators are supporting healthcare, hospitality, education. They'll support enterprise, government, and then they have the other side where you've got the carrier and public safety. Public safety has really grown by leaps and bounds, in particular because of some of the push with E911 and some of the NFPA compliance. So that's a different dynamic where some of these traditional two-way shops have moved into a public safety and helping support DAS applications. So they found a new They've found a new market for themselves. The other side is the commercial systems and utility systems. But typically, that's that's that focus that they have. So when you look at this, your main concentration as far as where the business is at is really public safety, carriers, and, and what else? Like broadband? Would you say broadband coverage? Well, you've got it. You've got a mix. Of the technology. So when you're when you're looking at how are they supporting this, they're looking at being able to to cast a wide net. So in many cases, they will be supporting a DAS for a building, but at the same time, they'll add fries with that with an 802.11ac application. So they'll use small cell. You'll also have a full network. They're trying to become as turnkey as possible. And now with these markets, you're having these new new market competition that's coming in with the traditional networking bars, and these are these are a new type of integrator that's moving into the space that's traditionally been focused on more networking with Cisco and Aruba, different types of access points, and now they're building a competency to move into DAS and small cell applications. The reason I went that way is because I think people don't realize when you do integrations, you can start out in one thing, whether you start out as a as, as putting in DAS systems for the carriers or whether you start out with public safety. But mm-hmm. eventually, just like you said, you have to cast a wider net because obviously the integrators want to work. I mean, as far as business goes, you want to do more. So they have to learn a lot more. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Anyone who does public safety DAS, a majority of it is, is currently at this stage BDAs. They're going to put BD, bi-directional amplifiers in. Sure. But then if they if they want to put a DAS in for an LTE system, obviously it's a completely different animal. They're going to do things completely different. I know you run the cables, you set up the equipment, but let's face it, it's, it's completely different equipment, in my opinion. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. And and that's where, and I maybe you can expand on this, the shift for these guys to do this, they rely heavily on the VAR now more than ever because suddenly they have to venture into new things. Now, these are all smart, competent guys, especially the integrators. I mean, the integrators have really, you know, been able to make the shift and they're willing to do all the work, but 
they really rely on the VAR to do more work. I mean, can you explain how much that has changed as far as how the integrator relies on, say, the VAR to get updated on new equipment or, or just even discover new equipment? If they're going from public safety to carrier or carrier to public safety, how's that transition been? Sure, sure. I think this is one of the things that we've noticed over the past, say, two years or so. Two years ago, you've got a big bucket that was was really the opportunity. Everybody is going after the, the, the carrier-based business because the spend was so high and there wasn't the challenge or issues with the funding and funding's changed so much. Today's mission critical wireless enterprise, now they require fully enabled connectivity and they want to have wireless throughout the entire enterprise. And now they, they require 4G moving into 5G and the other push is the public safety side. And so a lot of the end users, they have stronger demand for less expensive solutions. And so what happened was the BDA systems have become more prevalent and it's created a, it's created some issue because the end users are smart enough to know that they require these types of systems, but they're not necessarily educated enough that, that they need a certain type of technology to support it. So that's where some of these new players are coming in and offering lower cost solutions that might not fit the, the right need, and that's where it creates some problems. So you've got the education challenge, and holistically, IT professionals are asked to broaden their approach and cover more effective ways to keep pace with these rapidly expanding device demands. And you know, there's a growing number that are seeing the benefits of more of a comprehensive solution that leverages the strengths of high-performance Wi-Fi and a distributed DAS. So, you know, in, in the past, you know, it was just, you know, looking at professional stadiums, college, but now you see hotels, education, corporate environments that now have that expectation of always being on. So what it looks like is the scope has changed as far as the work goes, but the customer for the integrator is changing. They can't just look at if they did carrier work, they can't just look at carriers. If they did public safety, they can't just look at public safety. Now they have to look at, at what the new customer is, which I would say, and I'm going to just throw this out there, it looks like enterprise. I mean, is that what you see? Yeah. So, you know, what I was alluding to before about two years ago, the spend, you know, that was, it was, it was high and, and everybody had lots of action with the same type of offering. And when we had this lack of spending, that, that this has dried up and the resources dried up, many of these small-sized firms who were bolstering their payroll with added resources, they got hit hard. And FirstNet had also been much slower to get off the starting block that many of the industry analysts initially predicted. And it hurt those in the short run that who have been centralizing their efforts on that. So, you know, interestingly enough, this has also created a vacuum of sorts with those integrators who solely depended upon the carrier spend. So, you know, this dynamic shift created more of a trigger point for some VARs to reallocate their resources and to pivot into more palatable work, such as the space between 100,000 to roughly about 500,000 square feet. You know, this been affectionately termed as the middle prize DAS space. And this also includes the YLAN networking and also the mobility. So this is a power play. And, you know, the past 18 months or so, have been ripe for M&A opportunities, and a number of the healthier and larger integration companies have acquired smaller, talented VARs integration companies to expand their reach or their resources, their client base, 
and create a stronger foothold. Some other players made a name for themselves getting into the market for the first time. So you're seeing some different dynamics, some of which are recognizing the opportunity because of the carrier spend dry out, and they're acquiring these smaller integration companies. And then you have these other players that are just coming coming into the market for the first time because they're recognizing new opportunities. So the bigger players seem to be getting bigger. And you, you said you see new players coming in the market. So there is still room for a new player to come in. When a new player comes in, how do you think a new player has to differentiate themselves? I mean, do they have to go into a specific niche? Do they have to come in and say, I can do everything? I mean, what, what's your opinion? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, I, was, I, was, I was waiting for that question, Wade. You know, I think about the term new players, and really these folks are perceived as new. They've been around the block in their own regard, and they've served other spaces. For example, I've seen a number of networking bars, the Cisco Aruba, that have made a strong move into this space. And it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting how they've gotten into the space. How how do they get into the space? I mean, what, what do they do to set themselves apart? Well, Part of it is the relationship that they have from the start. They're, they're at the data center already. You know, they have that relationship at the data center. And you know, with what's happening today with technology, it's really driving back to the data side. You've got fiber-based solutions. You've got, you have to have that managed piece with, with wireless. So they're already having those conversations. And so with that, you've seen the shift where they've moved into supporting DAS and small cell. And you, you've seen some new technologies that are being adopted by you know, the Cisco's and, and Aruba's with some of their new access points. So with these guys moving in, they're heavy on the data. Does that make them weak on the wireless side? I mean, or when you have a new guy coming in, he knows to put a small cell in, I can just pop it in. Do they often compare it to Wi-Fi? And I bring that up because I see a lot of people that think Wi-Fi, they think a hotspot's a hotspot. But with small cells, nothing could, and DATs especially, nothing could be farther from the truth. I mean, how does a new guy deal with the transition from a hotspot to, say, a, a complicated DAT system or maybe a highly intelligent small cell? Well, that's a good question. One, one, cert, one way that they've been able to capitalize on this market is through partnership. And I found a number of these traditional networking companies that have traditionally been in the 802.11 space, they've been partnering with the larger integrators that have traditionally been in the DAS and building space. And they've been able to work in lockstep together on, on some of the larger applications with buildings, outdoor stadiums, hospitals, and, and the like. You know, the other piece was through acquisition. So you know, you're looking at some of these larger companies that have acquired smaller networking companies, be able to expand their engineering uh, capability. So you have a mix of two. You have the the one tactic of relationship where they're extending their offering, and the other the other piece is through acquisition. So you're, I'm seeing those those two have, have certainly been a, a strong trend. So the people that have been in the business for a long time, say the guys have been doing this for 15, 20 years, should they see the new guys as a threat, or should they see them as a partner? Should they see them as? I mean, what do you think? From what you're hearing in the industry, what's the uh, perception from the big boys? It, it really depends. Um, it really depends upon how much exposure they, they have in the market in the first place. They're, they're more frenemies than anything else because in some instances, they're working against each other on, on many of the deals. And then there's other situations where it makes sense for them to work alongside each other. It, it, it is political. 
it is political and it does depend. So, you know, sometimes they're, they're crossing party lines and working together. And then there's other times where it's best for them to be able to keep, keep the relationship separate for, for those deals. Let me ask you. So the, the other thing I've seen, like a lot of, um, uh, you know, use an example here. Like I look at Maztec, you know, they're pretty big. They do tower work. That's what they're known for. Then they started doing fiber and wiring. And then as I think now they have a DAS division and, and you can, you know, I just don't know a lot about Maztec, but, when you see a big boy like that getting into a new industry, because well, let's face it, tower work and DAS, I know some people would say RF is RF, but they're very different in the way they're deployed, the integrated, the customer, and so on. I mean, do you see when the big boys, when the bigger companies start a new division, do you see them being successful or do you see them just thinking that they, it's just a, another deployment and they don't concentrate on the, the details because DAS is very intricate. You can't just go out. Like a good DAS engineer, I think, is worth his weight in gold mm-hmm. because yep, it's so absolutely. complicated. So when you see companies like that just start a DAS division, are they normally successful? And what roadblocks do they have in front of them? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's it's all about identity. You know, do they are they going to have an identity crisis and just, you know, add fries to that and call it a day? Or are they going to really have a – and showcase that, that they have that focus? And, you know, part of it is the fact that the, the initial challenge is you're, if you're adding a new offering to your corporation, you know, how much focus do you have on that? And – is it going to be a division? You know, through this acquisition, you, you always have those challenges. I mean, Cisco, for example, what through Chambers, they had what 180 acquisitions in in his time, in his 20 years. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that was interesting about it is the fact that when Chambers stepped down, he was interviewed recently, and he was he was asked about the future of the markets and what he saw, you know, with what what the trends were going to be. And he said, you know, if you don't disrupt and if, if you're not disrupting and, and changing, a lot of the, the old guards of, you know, the, the, large, the large companies, they're going to die. And in, in fact, I think that the interview was through the street. It was in the mid, mid-April. And he said the majority of big tech companies, they won't be relevant in five years. And that includes Cisco um, if they don't change. The big thing is they have to disrupt themselves. And every company is either going to be a disruptor or they're going to get disrupted. And they have to choose to lead with the disrupting within themselves and the market opposed to somebody else doing it to them. So, you know, here's, here's you know, a company that had 1,400% growth over 20 years, and their success was predicated upon the ability to understand what the audience wanted and to determine their inefficiencies but most importantly, pivot quickly through their acquisition strategy. Yet the brand had been big enough and, you know, too big to fail. And the technical certification program was strong enough to carry, you know, the folklore of IT leaders everywhere that you're not going to be fired by choosing Cisco. You know, that that has changed quite a bit, you know, and obviously Chambers has moved into drones. And, you know, that's, that's a whole other story. But it goes back to what the focus is going to be and how quickly that these DAS that small cell players can can adapt, and you know that's where you're finding some of these these niche companies that are moving in, and they're seizing opportunity. You've got a lot of interesting plays here. Yeah, that's a great example. I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, you said about disruptors. I'm gonna throw one at you. And I was just reading about them. That's why it's fresh in my mind. But remember BlackBerry. BlackBerry, when they came out in the early days, they had what we used to call two-way pagers. You know, you could talk. And then, you know, they had the device and they had the email, they had everything on the device. 
it was huge. And they had an amazing niche. And really, businesses used them. They were very expensive. Licensing was very expensive. But to right. me, they, they just rested on their laurels. They said, well, we got a good product. And they had data encryption and security and all that. But then came the iPhone, and everything changed. And now BlackBerry, who knows what they're going to do next. But they just didn't respond. They didn't react. I guess they thought it would go on forever. I mean, when they did, but it was too late. In my eyes, it was too late. Right. Maybe they'll turn it around yet. Who knows? But I totally agree with you. There you have a company that was a disruptor. They had an amazing niche. I mean, I don't know if you remember... Everyone had a BlackBerry in, in a business world. I mean, they just did. That's how they got email. That's how they got work done. They, they were on them everywhere. Now nobody has a BlackBerry because they didn't, they didn't have, you know, but everybody has a smartphone and there's competition in smartphone, obviously. You know, you can have a Droid, a, a Microsoft. I think they still have theirs, but basically Droid or iPhone is it. But it, it's just fascinating how you have a disruptor who got lazy. And, and you said about Cisco, it was the same way. Everyone was buying Cisco equipment. Now it's a commodity. Cisco's still trying to stay. Cisco still has cool stuff. Don't get me wrong. And one thing I will give Cisco a lot of credit for, they're doing a lot of neat things in public safety. They're trying to stay active in, in the backbone of wireless. I know for the carriers, they're still trying to stay, uh, they're trying to maintain their hold on a lot of the carriers and I know they partnered with Ericsson. That was huge. I know we're getting off subject here. I apologize. No, no, that's good. But I think you brought up a good point because you have disruptors, but they have to keep disrupting, as funny as that sounds, or they at least have to stay on the bleeding edge. And the one thing I will give the carriers like Verizon, Verizon and AT&T, and even T-Mobile at this point, at least they're trying new stuff, like Verizon with the 5G stuff. And I make fun of 5G because, you know, there's no standard yet, <laughs> you know. And that, that's I'm, I'm leading into something with it. So that's what I was going to lead into next. So I admire Verizon for doing extensive 5G work, and, and they're really doing 5G work. It's not like, and I'm going to bust on Sprint. Sprint says they're going to do 5G testing. Well, you know, that's loose. I think Verizon really is doing cutting-edge things on 5G. I think they're really trying new things, new bands, new spectrum, which I think is really cool. Whereas I think, you know, some, and I'm going to bust on Sprint again. When they say 5G, you know, I, I think they're really just going to try broadband, and that's really it. My opinion It's my opinion, <laughs> which brings us to the next thing I'm going to hit you with. Internet of Things, smart cities, 5G. Now, as, as much as I make fun of it, because it's all very vague. However, in the DAS world, in the small cells world, this is where you're going to see the wave hit, or at least I think. I mean, what do you think? Sure. The Internet of Things, it's, it's, a, it's a hot topic. It, it's been passed around a lot. It is It is going to be huge. Um, yeah, the Internet of Things is really churning hard behind the scenes. I, I read a, a Gartner report recently that IoT is going to grow from about half billion today to 1.9 trillion in 2020. Uh, by by 2018 alone, we're going to be at 1.3 trillion dollars in spending. You know, right now this market is share solutions, grid, healthcare, ag tech. And, and smart cities. And right now, it's it is the wild west because of all the building blocks with connection protocols. You, you've got a number of different types of protocols that are being pushed out today. But there's a lot of companies right now that, in in platforms and environment for the uh, horizontal markets, there's a lot of companies out there like Twine and Osito and Sonoff, you know, that are really starting to make space for themselves. And with the strategies that AT&T and Verizon and uh, T-Mobile are really trying to push. 
and, and it, it has a lot to do with the push that they have with the over-the-top plans and the hard push for, for video. The video and the experience that people will have, it's with grid solutions, smart metering, the uh, asset allocation, ag tech. You know, these pieces will correlate with each other with monetization. You know, the question is, you know, the Internet of Things is definitely going to be there, but how do you monetize it? And that's the question that a lot of people ask because it is, it's understood that there's a lot going on, but I think a lot of the companies are trying to figure out how they can profit from it. And, you know, that's where you're going to start to see integrators that are going to be partnering with some of these smaller tech companies that have the competency to be able to get into lifestyle, connected home, and more of wearables. And, and that's going to combine with these markets like healthcare, ag tech, and, um, and hospitality. Yeah, the thing, the thing about the home, the home is going to be huge for people selling stuff, uh, selling hardware and equipment. But, I, you know, as far as integrators, as you and I know them, nobody's going to make money on the home. Am I wrong about that? I mean, what do you think? Well, it, it eventually it'll trickle down to the home. You know, the retail play is not really a core focus by any means for for any of the integrators. Exactly. But, but it is for for it is for the hospitality side, and and for that user experience, and and that that end user is is uh, residential, so to speak. But when you look at it, it's kind of an adaptive mood where they're looking at an experience to be able to capitalize for every user that's coming in. So it's about your experience when you come into a hotel room. If I walk into the room, they're already going to have my information that the temperature is going to be exactly the way I want it. They're going to be playing the music I want to hear. And I'm going to have an experience that I'm not going to have anywhere else. Where in the past, we haven't had that capability. So sorry, I, I, I got thrown right. off here. <laughs> I was into it. But you know what I liked about what you said? How you put residential, which, which I, I brought up. I don't see a market there for, for the integrators we know. I, I do for all the hardware and everything. But you, you tied it into hospitality, which is going to be huge. And that, and I think, well, it already is, right? I mean, everyone expects Wi-Fi in their room. Nobody wants to hook up a cable anymore. And the other thing I thought about is healthcare. While you were saying that, and the reason I brought up healthcare because if you're in the hospital, do you remember the days at the hospital they wouldn't allow cell phones in or they didn't want devices in? They were afraid it would interfere with everything. Now the doctors are carrying cell phones. You know, now now they're everywhere, and. They need the coverage in hospitals. Unfortunately, a lot of hospitals just don't want to spend the money on it, so you really have to be creative at your sales process. At least that's what I've seen, and you probably have seen a lot more. So Yeah, I, I definitely have. In fact, you know, most recently, about a week and a half ago, I traveled down to um, Orlando for it was a Dense Networks event, and one of the showcases was smart, the Smart Cities, and I got a tour of Lake Nona. So Lake Nona is, is known, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's it's one of the first gigabit communities in America. So to put this in perspective, we're number 12 in the world for connected bandwidth. We're, we average 11.5 meg. South Korea is number one at 25 meg. And this is a major gap. And most people are surprised when they hear that number because they, they would you know, believe or led to believe that we should be probably top five. But what Lake Nona is really doing, and which is, which is truly innovative, is they're offering a gig to the home and one strand to every home. And this technology is also being 
adopted with other pieces for the Internet of Things. So what you're seeing is you're seeing the ability for intelligent lighting. You're seeing venue solutions. You're seeing video surveillance. You're seeing intelligent tracking in uh, parking for utility-wise itself. So you've got the utility side. So you've got the metering piece, demand response, distribution monitoring and control. So it's kind of combined with the two. And you've got education. So education is an entirely different game as well. And so these connected cities are, they, they have everything all at the same spot. So it's an, it's an all-you-can-eat. They're able to monetize it by creating such a demand that uh, residents are going to pay a premium to be in that space. That's a good point. That's a good point. And that's a great way to look at it. You have Google Fiber going around and like you have Bios. And now I think five to 10 years from now, everyone is going to expect fiber at the home. My opinion, I mean, I really believe that. That's what I see going. I, I have a cable modem, but I've got 12 meg up and 12 meg down now. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I complain mm-hmm. about it sometimes. Right. <laughs> you know? right. What, what am I doing? You know, I have great coverage. It does go up and down. It's not stable. That's true. But really, think about where we were even 10 years ago when dial-up was still 10 years ago. All right, I'll say 15. 15 years ago, dial-up was common, and people were happy for that. Now, 15 meg is common. 10 years from now, people are just like you said, they're going to expect gig or something like that, 100 meg at least each home. Well, well and, and, and not only that, but not only that too, Wade, but you look at this and you look at the carrier spend and what what their activity is. They recently have indicated that 60% of their video is going to be running over global networking. So with a global network, 60% of the traffic is going to be running through mobile devices. And some, and actually some reports actually indicate even more. And when you're talking about the connected home, you're not just, you've, you've got your laptop, but you've got your devices. I mean, typically, you know, people are averaging between three to five devices each. And you think about how much, how much of a hit that's going to take on the network and the demand that it's going to take. And that, that's going to also blend with the intelligence of the Internet of Things and some of these technologies that are out today and how that changes the need and how that changes the demand. It's amazing. To me, it's just amazing. I want to tie in the last two things here, then I want to talk about some other stuff. But, um, sure. So as far as a big VAR in the industry, you can tell me who the biggest is. I think I know what your answer will be or who the best mm-hmm. is probably. But also, when you're a VAR now, you have to cover so much more than just wireless, than just RF, than just installation, than just networking. Could you go into that, how the VAR is contributing to the network to the education. I know we touched on this earlier, but also the other thing I want to tie into this are channels because one thing that a lot of hardware vendors do now, they know they can't just sell everything on their own. And I know, you know, you have the OEMs, but they rely on channels. They rely on the VAR to move product. And I think anyone would agree with that. Like in the old days, I use Lucent, you know, I worked at Alcatel Lucent. Lucent thought they could just control the world, and now look, you know, now they're owned by Nokia. Who thought that day would come? When you look at the the hardware vendors now, or the, I'm sorry, the hardware OEMs now, how do the channels play a part? How do the VARs play a part in getting the equipment out to the integrators? Could could you go into that real quick? Sure, sure. This has been a hot topic, and um, in fact, we my panel, um, I had a panel in New York City at NEDAS that 
that was one of the, the key topics that were being passed around with, with a couple of the integrators. We, we talk about this wide net, and we talk about the, the, uh, the tactic of trying to be everything for everyone. And, you know, that practice has certainly worked, and it, and it does continue to work for some, but it really does depend because the trend now is, is back through channel. And, you know, system, system integrators are trying to align themselves more with channel versus we can do everything for everyone. And you know, the reason for channel, and when I'm referring to channel, is utilizing a select portfolio of vendors. And when they align themselves with certain vendors and build a strong relationship, there's been a stronger correlation of, of business that's being passed back and forth. If the vendors are, they have a stronger tie with that integrator. At the same point in time, they're working on deals together. So the net net for that is, more deals, more opportunities together. The other side is the, the disadvantage of just being with one one or two particular technologies. So you've got two different schools of thought, but I, I think what was one of the trends, what at least from what I've heard from a lot of the integrators, is that they're they're trying to go back into the traditional channel role of working with in lockstep with a lot of the vendors and they're they're pushing back through the certification programs and they're narrowing their portfolio so that they can dive in and have a stronger tie with them while they're working on projects. So that's that's changed a bit. You know, in the past, a lot of the integration companies would work with anybody they could and there wasn't any loyalty and they would create a lot of friction, you know, with their relationships over the long run. So, you know, this approach is interesting and, you know, going back through the channel, which you know, we probably have seen maybe five, five, eight years ago, and you know that that seems to be it seems to be working. That's interesting. Well, I think now, and this is what I've seen. I think you're right. I think in the older days, people would just move product, they'd throw it to the integrator and say, "Good luck." But I think now, if an OEM, even an, all the way back to the OEM, if they see a failure, and when I say failure, let's say the integrator did something wrong. Let's say they see an education problem. You know, we'll put it down that it's a black eye. So now, and I think this is what you were saying, the bar in the channels, the whole channel, the OEM, it's very important to them that the integrator, the installer does things right. Because if that piece of hardware fails, and let's say the hardware works fine, but let's say the installer did something wrong, wrong antenna, you know, whatever, could be a hundred things. Sure. That's a black eye because people... Well, they might badmouth the installer. The OEM's like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right? us. Yeah. You know, that, that's our device. What are we going to do? Yeah. So I, I think, to your point, that's why people follow it, net people. That's why all the players involved want a successful system out there working for the long term. And I think that's why. I I think now, especially, you know, like I write blogs for heaven's sake. I mean, word gets out that if something fails or if something goes wrong, it's a black eye for all the parties involved. So if I were to put in, you know, a specific small cell and it doesn't work, everyone's going to talk about it. But they're going to look at me probably. Yeah, well, that guy installed it wrong. But the OEM, they're going to look at him too saying, this device doesn't work. I wouldn't put it in anywhere. That's all they need. Even though they might have 10 people saying it works, no one's listening to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the other, the other challenge too, Wade, is the fact that if they're trying to be every, everything to everyone, in many cases, what happens when they win? You know, when they win the business and more times than not, then they have to outsource resources that have that depth and expertise yep. with, with those particular technologies. So, 
you know, can they do it? Yes, they can. But you know, there there are some there are some disadvantages from that aspect. And you look at the long term play, and you know, if you've got the deep knowledge with a couple of major players, you you also build notoriety with that. And then if if you have the opportunity of being able to couple, get a couple leads from the vendor. That's a big plus. Steve, I'd yeah. like to thank you for being on the show. Is there anything else you want to you want to plug, you want to talk about before I let nope, you go? No, nope. thanks again, Wade. You're doing an awesome job. You know, keep up the great work. I listen to your podcast all the time. Yeah, you, I'm, I just have a lot of respect for what you do. So uh, my hat's off to you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. So there it was, my interview with Steve Yabsug of Tesco. By the way, if you want to reach out to Tesco, tesco.com, T-E-S-S-C-O.com. And if you're in the business, you probably know Tesco, if you're a wireless integrator. I mean, you're everywhere. And there is one more thing he told me after the fact is that Dense Networks will be kicking off an education summit in Atlanta. So remember, October 13th in Atlanta, Georgia. October 13th in Atlanta, Georgia, there will be an education summit kicked off by Dense Networks. Dense Networks. If you want to follow them, densenetworks.com. And finally, if you want to follow Steve or keep up with him at all, go to Twitter. His Twitter handle is at S-Y-A-P-S. S is in Steve, Y is in Yapsuga, A-P-S. A is in Apple, P is in Paul, S is in Sam. Just remember that, at S-Y-A-P-S. Keep in touch with Steve, follow him, keep up with him, and I would like to thank him for being on the show. I really appreciate it. It's nice that uh, he was able to get up Saturday morning at 8 o'clock and spend some time with me, at least on the phone. But everyone, hey, thanks for listening. If you made it this far, I do appreciate it. And remember, be smart, be safe, and pay attention. See ya!